Okay, may it be a good morning for Klal Yisrael, for Am Yisrael, for Eretz Yisrael. It should be a good morning, it should be a good day, it should be a good week. We should have only Besoros, Tovos, Yeshuos, Vinachamos. It's good to be back in person and back finding our chizik, our strength, insights, and perspectives for today from the Parsha. I want to thank, as always, our generous sponsors, Becky and Avi Katz and family, who sponsored the Parsha series in memory of David Grossman, Lili Nishmas, David ben Menachem, Manash. This morning's Parsha Shir is also sponsored by Robin and Eric Froman in commemoration of the Yerot site of Harold Dubot, Svi Hirsch, Ben Yona Dove, and by Elaine Trachtenberg, Andrew and Alan Lieberman, Dvorin Hill Lefkowitz, in memory of Chaim Tzvi Hirsch, Ben Benyamin, on his 10th Yurt site. Uh, his neshama should certainly have an aliyah. Two are reminders. One is right at the end of our Parsha Shir. We'll divide up the Tehillim, and uh, we'll finish all of Sefer Tehillim on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Israel, the IDF, who are engaged in heavy fighting right now deep in Gaza. Certainly they're in all of our Thoughts and prayers, our hearts, all of the schuyos of our learning should be in their, in their merit. But please stay after. It'll take just a few minutes. If we divide up all of Tehillim among us, it'll go uh, very quickly. Also, we ordered, believe it or not, it's very hard to find, but we ordered and custom-made Israeli flags to put on your car to proudly display, to show we're not embarrassed, ashamed, hiding, afraid. They're, uh, $5 proceeds go to... The soldiers, they're available in the lobby right afterwards, so please uh, feel free to participate in this effort. Parshas Vayera, appears in page 78, the Yard Scroll Stone Chumash. Vayera, Allah Hashem, Be'eloni Ma'amrei, V'hu Yoshe Pesach Ha'ol Kachol Last week's Parsha, we were introduced to Avram Avinu, and even though that was perhaps mid-story, we spoke last Shabbos morning about the episode of the Kibshan Ha'esh, that Avram already endured a test even before we came to know him, when he survived the fiery furnace. Our enemies try to destroy us. All they do is give birth to a new us, a better version of us. We became a nation. We began again. They tried to incinerate and obliterate and exterminate Avram. He comes out of that fiery furnace. He supersedes nature. He transcends nature. He's bigger, stronger, more driven, more focused on his mission than ever. And the story continues in this week's parasha. Avram just had his bris Hashem appears to Avram in Elonei Mamre. I got a, a new safer, our uh, dear teacher and friend Rav Druk, Rishon Meir Druk Shlita. We uh, learned through his Eish Tamid for several years. He's coming out with a new series on Parsha called Lahavos Eish. Lahavos Eish is along the same lines, but a new series, a continuation of the Eish Tamid. So he quotes Rashi, Hashem, Why did Hashem come? Why does Hashem appear before Avram? We all know we're all taught from a young age to visit the sick. Avram is recovering from surgery at an advanced age, the third day, the most precarious, the most painful day. So Hashem appears to visit the sick. It was the third day. And Hashem came to inquire as to his well-being. Hashem came to see how he's doing. And wonders of Druk. Torah just tells us that Hashem appeared before him and that Avram is sitting outside. And the next thing you know, Avram raises his eyes and sees these three, what he thinks are wanderers. Of course, we know the story, they're angels. And then the conversation with Hashem, whatever it was, is abruptly interrupted because Avram pivots and he shifts to go no practice his signature quality, So what was, why did Hashem visit? How did Chazal know? Where did they see in the Psukim that the purpose of this visit is Bikr Cholim. And moreover, Vayir, Elav, Levakar, Rashi says, he jumps the gun. 
He's going to quote Chazal, Rabbi Chama Barchanina, that it was the third day after surgery, and he came to ask Avram how he's doing. But Rashi jumps the gun, and before quoting Chazal says, he came to visit the sick. As it's taught, he came to visit the sick. So Rashi, what'd you add? Just quote the Chazal. He came to visit Avram and ask him how he's doing. What did Rashi add? Levakaras Achola, as it says, he came to ask him how he's doing. He's the one who told us that. What did Rashi add? And listen to what Druk says. Habir Bezehu, until now, Avram's name is used. Hashem spoke to Avram, Hashem appeared to Avram, and Hashem said to Avram, Where's Avram? The parsha begins, and he appeared to him. Pronouns. All of a sudden we forgot names, forgot Avram's name. Last week's parsha, Hashem appeared to him, Hashem spoke to him, Hashem said to him, to Avram, to Avram, to Avram, and now, Vayera Elav Hashem. He appeared to him, Hashem. Why not say Vayera Hashem El? Avram. Why do we change to Elav instead of invoking Avram's name? So it says Rav Druk to answer all these questions. Al Karchenu Yesh Lafarish. Why did Hashem visit Avram? Because Avram is a big influencer. Hashem wanted to get a selfie with Avram that Avram would post on his page. He's a big influencer. Everyone would see, millions would follow. He was visiting Avram because he was the God of Lador, the Anak Sheba Anakim, the giant of all the giants? No. Shilchan states explicitly, in fact, in Smichas Chavar, we just began a Nuzman, with the halacha of Bikr Cholom, we learn this halacha, I think it's in Shin Lamites, comes from a Gemara in the Dharam Daf Mem. The Gemara there learns a story that the great Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva left the base Medrash to go visit a Talmud. What do you mean? Let Rabbi Akiva send a shliach. Let Rabbi Akiva send a text, a WhatsApp message. Let Rabbi Akiva write a note, send a telegram. Rabbi Akiva, the great Rabbi Akiva, left the base Medrash to go visit a simple student. And Shulchan Aruch quotes from the Gemara Nadarim, you see that when it comes to visiting the Cholo, there is no hierarchy. There's no standing on ceremony. There's no greater and lesser. There's no superior and inferior. There's no richer and poorer. There's no smarter and less smart. Everyone's equal. Every Cholo deserves support and a visit. And in fact, it's above the head of every sick person that the presence of Hashem can be found most intensely. That is the tradition that we have. That's why you don't fulfill the mitzvah unless you offer a tefillah. You could give a sponge bath. You could smuggle into the hospital a pastrami on club with mustard, Russian dressing, whatever you prefer. You could mop the floor of the hospital room. You could wet the lips. You could change out the IV. But if you leave the room without saying, Yehiratzon, Hashem, give my good friend the Rafua Shlema, you've not fulfilled the mitzvah of Bikr Cholom. Why? Because Hashem's in that room. He's above the head. He's right there, present with the sick person. And you're not going to turn to him. You're not going to ask him. You're not going to daven to him. One has to daven or you don't fulfill the mitzvah. Lufiza Yishladaktik says, Rav Druk, that's why, Vayera Elav Hashem, because the Torah wants to communicate to us that Hashem didn't visit because Avram is a high profile, dignitary, prominent, prestigious person. Why did Hashem visit? 
because Hashem is present at the head of every chola. Those you've heard of and who are famous and those you've never heard of. He was a pronoun, generic, ambiguous. A love. He was a love, just a simple person. Rashi jumped the gun before quoting Chazal to say, a love, a love, without using Avram's name. Because Hashem does that for everybody. Oh, Chazal also tell us that Hashem knew it was the third day after Avram's vis, bris, so he came to Avram specifically to ask how he's doing. But they're two separate statements. One is that Hashem came to Avram knowing it's Avram, and Avram gave himself a bris at an advanced age, and it was the third day, and he came. But even before then, because a love, Hashem does that to each and every one. And so should we. Our concern and our care is not just for high-profile, famous for those with whom we have a closest relationship, every chola deserves our care, our attention, our support, our love. I will tell you, having been in Eretz Israel and Israel for three days last week, we focus on casualties, 1,400, 1,500, unimaginable, continuing to even still identify bodies and get gruesome reports. Yesterday, Am Yisrael, Kla Yisrael learned of the fate of Luke, that young woman, German-Israeli. What happened to her? We won't even mention. But... The casualties are not the only concern. When we 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 have injured, those cholim, everyone deserve our davening, our attention, our care, our love, our support. Vayera a love. It's not just the ones who went famous, who went viral, who a video appears, but every name, Vayera a love, every person Hashem visits, Hashem is found at the head of each and every person, and we too have to care for each and every chola from this war and in our lives. Torah tells us what happens, Vayisa ila ina vayar, Avram raises his eyes and he sees and there are three angels standing over him. He goes and he runs to greet them from the opening of the tent where he's found and, and bowed toward the ground. Bowed toward the ground. Okay, we got a lot to say on this Pasuk. We're going to make it past the second Pasuk, but we got a lot to say. The Igrakala wonders we know that the angels each came to fulfill their own shlichus. Because an angel, who's really an extension, an emissary, a spark of the Ribbon Shalom, is how Hashem is expressing and manifesting in the world a particular purpose, a particular mission. And each one doesn't repeat. They came for that reason. So three angels, they came to destroy Sodom and tell Sarah was going to get pregnant, save Lot, and so on. So, One doubled up on their mission. The one that came to inquire as Avram's well-being, to wish him a refuah shleimah, to say mishabirachacholim for him, is the same angel that went to save Lot. First of all, what happened to the rule? What happened to the principle? Angels don't double up. Each one is a unique, distinct mission. Number one. Number two, why these? Why the same one who gave the refuah shleimah if, why not the one who came to tell Sarah she's pregnant? Moreover, when Hashem visited Avram, is there a better doctor? Every Jew wants to get into the best doctor in the world. Best hospital, the best doctor, the greatest mumcha. Jackie Mason, all of had his whole routine. My doctor is so good, you can't ever get in to see him. He had his whole routine. 
So there's no greater doctor in the world. The Rebona Shalom himself came to visit Avram. So someone else, then the angel came afterwards. First the doctor came, then the resident. The world's greatest mumcha, the world's greatest doctor came, and then the first year medical stool. Then the kid who's taking chemistry in high school came in. <laughs> Hashem himself visited Avram. Then a malach came and said, Rafur Shlema. That's going to accomplish more than Hashem accomplished? The Rebona Shalom came. What do you need a malach then for the Rafur? So listen what the Agar Dekala says. He says, we don't really understand this section properly. Did Lot deserve to be spared or saved from Sodom? No. We all know the story. It's further in our Pasha. Lot separates from his uncle Avram. Lot chooses to place his lot, pun intended, not with his righteous uncle Avram, but Lot puts his lot with the people of Sodom. He wants to go live in this hedonistic, morally corrupt, decadent society. That's what appeals to him. That's what he wants to be part of. That's what he lives with. So he doesn't deserve to be spared or saved. After all, that's where he put his lot. Their fate is his fate. Their consequence is his consequence. That's who he chose to live with. But what happened when Hashem said, could I possibly conceal, could I possibly deny Avram to know what I'm going to do? What happened? When Avram heard what was going to happen to Stom, what happened? Avram felt a great pain. Avram was agitated. You're going to destroy a whole city? How could it be? But Avram was also further, it was compounded, and my nephew Lot's among them? You're going to destroy the whole city of Stom and Lot? Do you know what I put into that kid? I paid for his whole Jewish education. That's like $5 million. I clothed him. I sent him to camp. That's another $5 million. I had to constantly upgrade his phone. That's like another $5 million. But he said, you know what I put into this kid, Lot? I educated him. I was patient with him. I taught him. I invested in him. I risked my life for him. The war, the four kings, the five kings. Avram says, I only got involved in that war to liberate my nephew. Do you know what I put in? Do you know what I risked? Do you know what I gave up for this kid, Lot? And now you're going to destroy Stom and you destroy Lot with it? I've taken him with me everywhere I went. I had to get him his own hotel room. And now he's going to get killed? Hashem didn't save Lot because of Lot. Why did Hashem save Lot? Because Avram Avinu. The same Malach that was concerned with Avram's well-being that came for the Rafuah Shlema of the Bris is the same Malach that was concerned with Avram Avinu's well-being to save Lot. They weren't two separate missions. They're not two separate purposes. They're one and the same. It's a Zel Bazach. Avram Avinu's well-being. Hashem loves Avram and he's concerned about Avram. So in Avram's merit, for Avram's righteousness, he comes to heal him from his bris, and he comes to spare Lot because of what that would have done to Avram. Sometimes a person has a physical ailment. Sometimes a person has a broken heart. He's brokenhearted. He's brokenhearted. That's why the Pasuk formulates it later. Hashem remembered Avram. The whole effort 
The whole intervention to spare Lot was not because of Lot. Lot was undeserving because Lot put his lot with stone. Why did he do it? For Avram. And that's why it's the same Malach who goes and spares both because Lot only survives in the merit of Avram. And here too, there's a message for us. People were davening for Baruch Hashem. They're not Lot, Chalila, to put them in the same category or to describe them that way. But you see that when we say to the Ribona Shalom, Ribona Shalom, I'm not davening and don't intervene and don't spare and don't care about others. They merit, they don't merit. But I'm in pain. I'm in anguish. It hurts me. My heart is broken. My heart is broken. So Ribona Shalom, whatever merit I might have, I'm cashing it in because my heart is broken over the thought of those young men, of those young soldiers on the front line. My heart is broken on those families who are grieving. My heart is broken over a nation and a people that are worried and anxious. So Ibn Shalom, whatever few merits, whatever schuyos I might have, my broken heart, I'm incomplete and thus they're complete. My life is interrupted as long as their life is interrupted. We see from the precedent of Lot, and that's what he talks about in the footnote here in the Amaros Tahoros that quotes this Igudikala. You see this notion of tefillah. Because why would Hashem spare somebody else because of you? We spoke about this in Siddur Snippets last week or two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. The Chassam Sofer. The Chassam Sofer wonders, how does it work? You daven for someone else who's sick, Rifa'inu. The Baruch of Rifa'inu, and now we're up to Baruch Aleinu, but two weeks ago we're up to Rifa'inu. So you say to Hashem, Rifa'inu Hashem b'nei Rafay. Yihiratzon, the little Yihiratzon, you can insert in the middle of Rifa'inu, you daven for the other person who's sick. Hashem says, buddy, mind your own business. When you're sick, daven for yourself. Why should I change the other person's fortune, decree? Because of you, you're davening? What does one thing have to do with the other? So the Chassam Sofer references a Maral and quotes a Rambam, that the core of davening of tefillah is that a person asks for Yeshol Tzrochem Shehut Tzorach Behen. You ask for the things, but you don't just say a script. You don't just recite a template. You don't just deliver what appears in the Siddur. Shehut Tzorach Lehen. You have to communicate to Hashem, I need this. I'm incomplete without it. My heart is broken. Shehut sarach lahen. When you daven for someone else, it's not just a yates design. I got an email, I'm on a WhatsApp group, I saw a petak hanging in the base medrash, so I daven for so-and-so. It's not just a yates design. I did it. It's got to be a tzarach, shehut sarach bahem. It has to be that you genuinely say, Hashem, my heart is broken. My heart is broken and screaming out in pain. I, they're not my children. They're all our children. They're all our family. But I, it's not directly related. It's my, it, I'm part of Am Yisrael. I'm part of Kla Yisrael. We go together. Avram, Lot was spared because Avram said, this hurts me. It's got to hurt all of us. If the left foot is injured, the right foot doesn't say, I work fine. I'm good to go. If the left foot is injured. The right foot says, it hurts me. I'm wobbly. I can't walk straight. We can't walk straight until everyone's home till the captives are all home, till the soldiers are all home. We, Kla can't walk straight. You see the, the mechanics of how this works from Avram and from Lot and from this insight. Avram raises his eyes. Vaisa enav. He raises his eyes in order to be able to see. What is this notion, Vaisa enav? So again, Rashi. Vaisa enav, he raises his eyes and he sees. Ma vayera, vayera shnei pa'amim. In this Pasuk, it says, Avram saw, and it uses the word vayera twice. Vayar, he sees three men. Vayar, and he sees them and he runs towards them. Okay, we got it. He saw them. He raised his eyes and he saw them. It should say, he raised his eyes, Vayar, he saw three men. 
and he ran to go greet them. Why does it have to say a second time? He raised his eyes and he saw. He saw and he ran to greet them. What is Vayar the second time? So Rashi says, First time means literally. He was looking down. He wasn't scrolling or texting, but he was looking down. Vasheni, the second time, Havana came to understand He saw that they were hesitating. They didn't want to bother him. And even though they saw him coming out to greet them, they remained where they were because they didn't want to disturb him. So, says Rashi, Vayar twice. First, he noticed them. And the second time, he noticed about them that they weren't coming close because they didn't want to bother him. And that's why he ran to them to be able to help. Vayar twice. Back to the Lavos Eshra of Druk's new Sefer. He says, Vayar, Vayar, why twice? The Avos, you know the, there are those people. You ever out with someone? You're at a restaurant, you're having coffee, you're trying to talk to them and you notice they're looking around, they're taking a lot and you're like, hi, yo, over, over here, over here. You know those people? They just, they just need to know everything going on. They're watching, they're listening, they're observing. Yentas who are just focused on everything around. So supposedly you're having coffee, supposedly you're having lunch, but you have to be like, yo, oh, hi, over here. When you go out with them, you always have to make sure they're taking the seat facing the wall, you could face out. <laughs> strategic seating. You have to have strategic seating in the restaurant, otherwise you might as well go out by yourself. You lost them. So, says Rav Druk, the Avos were not Yentas. Gedolim are not Yentas. They're present, fully immersed and present in whatever they're doing. They're looking down. They're looking down and they're present in whatever they're doing. They're always looking down and they're always focused. They're present, fully immersed in what they're doing. When do they look up? When there's a reason to look up. When there's something to notice. So your head's in the Gemara, somebody's standing opposite you, you look up and you greet them. There's a reason to look up. They're not yentas that need to follow everything in the world. They look up when they need to look up. So Avram Avinu, Vaisa Avram Asayna, Vayar. Vaisa Avram Asayna, Vayar. Right, when do we have it? Vaisa Avram Asayna, Vayar, Samakum Erachok. Later, the Akedah. Vaisa Avram Asayna, Vayar, Vinei Ayel. Then he looks up and he sees there's a ram. Yitzchak, Vaisa Yitzchak, Lasuch Basada, Vaisa Eina, Vayar, Vinei Gmalim Baim. He goes in the field and he's davening. So when he's davening, he's not. Who Shimon is longer? Who said Yalav Yavo already? Three seconds before I took my third step forward. Who, uh, who's the Chazan from Masav? Who's that? No, he's davening. He only noticed because he lifted his eyes. So when it comes to the Avos, it never tells us they saw. It tells us they lifted their eyes and they saw. Why? Because they weren't Yentas. They weren't looking around all the time. They weren't distracted by the world. They were focused. They were present. They were mindful. They were immersed in wherever they were. So much so that when there was something to see, Vayisa enough, first they had to lift their eyes in order to be able to see. So now, Lefizeh says, according to this, the Torah is coming to teach us, Avram Avinu is very happy. Wow. Avram Avinu, nothing makes him happier than hosting guests. And when he saw that they weren't coming, So 
So says Rav Druk, you're reading the Pasuk wrong. It doesn't repeat the word Vayar twice. He lifted his eyes and he saw them. He saw them and he ran towards them. No, he lifted his eyes and he saw them. Vayar, Vayaratzlikrasam, he didn't move his eyes off of looking at them the whole time he ran towards them. They now became his new focus. A moment ago, he was looking down in the Gemara, but once he saw them, Vayar, Vayaratzlikrasam, now he ran while looking at them the same time. So says Rav Druk, in the way of Gedoli Yisrael, in the way of the Gedoli Ha'avos, they were not Yentas looking all over. They were always fully present, focused, whatever they were meant to be doing right then. So Vayar, first it means he lifted his eyes. Oh, I have an opportunity. Now, as he ran, Vayar, again, this is all he saw. Whatever he was meant to be doing, that's all he saw. You go to the park. Somebody's pushing their children, their grandchildren on the swing while they're scrolling, while they're texting. They're not there. They're absent present. Not the avos. Vaisa vaya. No, when you're on the switch, you're pushing the kid. When you're on the floor playing with the child, you're playing with the child. When you're at the parashashir, you're at the parashashir. Whatever we're doing, we're fully immersed in what we're doing to the point that vaisa vaya. You'd have to lift our eyes in order to be able to shift us, in order to be able to, in order to be able to see. Vaisa enav. You have to lift the eyes. Uh, okay. The Ramban understands, same Pasuk. Tam nitzavim alav. It's a very funny Lushan in this Pasuk. He lifts his eyes and he sees the three men are nitzavim. What word is peculiar in this Pasuk? They are nitzavim alav. What are they, standing on his head? Sitting on his shoulders? Alav means on him. What is the word vanitzavim alav? Standing over him. Leave out the word. We would have understood the Pasuk the same way. He lifted his eyes, and he saw Nitzavim. Can leave out the word Nitzavim too. What do we care about their posture? He lifted his eyes and he saw that there were three men. And he ran to go greet them. So the Rabban understands Tam Nitzavim alav. Says the Ramban, it's descriptive. You know, a good author who draws you into a novel. The more adjectives, the more they depict the scene, the more they draw you into what was happening, the more connected you feel. So it says the Ramban, the Torah is trying to paint the picture. Wants you to understand the scene. Avram is sitting. He's in recovery. He's recovering from the surgery. They just walked up. They're standing. So Nitzavim Alav, they're standing and looking. Avram is sitting. So it says they stood over him. They want to see Avram's looking. Oh, welcome. Shalom Aleichem. He's sitting and he sees them. They're standing. That's all. That's the Ramban. Rashi understands they were standing not over Avram, but Allah is an expression of respect to the Malachim. Why? Allah means they're superior. Human beings are fallible. Human beings have Bakhir Khafshis. We have free will. Human beings make mistakes. Human beings are Mahalchim. Malachim are Umdim. Malachim are perfect. So in that sense, they're Nitzavim. Allah says Rashi. Uah. The Malachim stand over him in the sense that to a degree they're superior. It's respect. Show respect, a love over him. The Radak and the Svarno explain the angel is still still. They were looking and waiting for instructions from Avram what to do next. They show up. Vinitzavim a love. They're standing over him silently, waiting. No, say something. What's next? Where does the story go? Svarno writes, Kiamamtinim etzal adam ladabrimo yikru nitzavim a love. You know, if you're ever trying to get someone's attention, they're looking down at their phone, 
they're looking down, their eyes are immersed in the Gemara, and you're trying to get their attention, you're Nitzavim Alav. You're standing there over them, waiting for the person to look up and engage you. So a lot of different interpretations of what Nitzavim Alav means. But I want to share with you from the Shevet Ephraim. My friend Rabbi David Silverberg quoted this. Who was the Shevet Ephraim? Rabbi Ephraim Vald of Satmer, the Shevet Ephraim. And he says a very, very powerful and important idea. He says the following. There's a concept in social psychology that works as follows. A person is driving on the, on the uh, highway and there's a car accident, but someone keeps driving. You didn't call the police. You walk into shul and there's garbage in the path. There's garbage in the parking lot. What did you do? Keep walking. Don't bend down and pick it up. Hoshua says, we need a volunteer. Who's willing to? The Shiva minion short too. Can anyone please go? Everyone looks down. Why does that happen? Well, why didn't someone pick up the phone and call the police? Why don't you pick, down, pick up the garbage? Why don't you volunteer? So it's called in social psychology, diffusion of responsibility. Or they call it the bystander effect. Sometimes that happens in large groups. Sometimes it's a committee. But when it's more than one person, everyone assumes someone else will take care of it. Someone else is running with it. Someone else will do it. it it's a very dangerous phenomenon. It leads to groupthink and disengagement or risk-taking behavior because the whole committee just assumes it's someone else's problem. Someone else will do it. Someone else will take the responsibility. Says the Shevet Ephraim. What does it mean? They're Nitzavim Alav. What does it mean that they're standing over him? Why doesn't it say they were standing Lefanov before him? What is Alav over him? Because Avram Avinu never was compromised. Avram Avinu never was vulnerable to the phenomenon of the diffusion of responsibility or the bystander effect. Avram Avinu felt whatever task there is to get done, Nitzavim alav. It's weighing on him. It's standing on him. It's for him to do. Avram Avinu knew how to, knew how to take Echrayas. He didn't point fingers. He didn't assign or delegate. He didn't wait for others. He didn't assume someone else would do it. Whatever task there was to get done, Whatever responsibility there was, it was nitzavim alav. It was on his shoulders. It was standing over him. He's sitting at Pesach HaOel. The Shevet Ephraim understands what is Pesach HaOel. It means the beginning of his spiritual journey. Avram is humble and modest. He sees himself in his purpose of being of service to others. So what happens? He jumps up to get involved. Why does he jump up to help? Because it's nitzavim alav. This is his job. It's his achrais. It's his responsibility. It is sitting on him. It's weighing on him. It's weighing on him. That's the attitude that we have to have. Somebody needs, there's a chola that needs to be visited. There's an avel that needs nechama. There's money that's needed to be raised for displaced people in Israel. It's not someone else's problem. Don't wait for someone else to collect the supplies or pack the duffels or schlep them to the airport. It's on each and every one of us. We are the progeny of Avram Avinu. And to be the children of Avram Avinu means to know how to take achrayas. It means to know how to live with a sense of nitzavim alav. It's weighing on me. I'm not waiting for someone else. Jump up. Jump in. Say alai. Acharai. It's on me. Follow me. I got it. Avram Avinu is teaching us, and that is part of the legacy that he leaves us and gives us to be the children. The Bnei Avram Yitzhak is to know how to live with an attitude of nitzavim alav. No bystander effect, no diffusion of responsibility, no waiting for someone else to do it. You walk by garbage, you pick it up. You saw something, you need to call, call the police. Someone needs a visit or support, 
Here I am. Here I am. Hineni, as we see from Avram Avinu later in the parsha as well. What does Avram Avinu offer them? What does he offer them? He says, Please take some, take some uh, water. Take some water. And wash your feet. And lean against the tree. And I'll go get a meal for you. In the meantime, we'll get you all situated. We'll get you all set. So what's the first thing that Avram Avinu does? Have a little water. Why? And wash your feet. Why, why a little water? One does Rav Druk back in Lahavosesh. Rashi tells us, What was the purpose of the water? Was this like COVID was spreading? So he was Purell. Put on your mask. Purell your hands. Don't come in my tent until you test. Are you vaccinated? Well, why is he giving out water? Yukach no mad mayim. Zakhtar Ashi. Kasavar sheim aravim. Shemeshtachavim la'avak ragleihem. He thought these were Arab nomads, wanderers, idolaters. And he said, don't come into my tent with your idolatry. Wash that idolatry off your feet. Okay? So, first of all, what a very powerful image. Avram Avinu, the same person who's about to daven for Sdom. Avram Avinu is the king of Achnasus Orchem, welcomes all guests. Jewish, non-Jewish, recognizes them, they're complete strangers. But what does he not do? Despite this incredible love, generosity, selflessness, he does not risk compromising his own home. So he says, I love you, I welcome you, I want you, but you got to leave the Avodah at the door. Wash off the Avodah Don't bring the images, the icons, the ideas, the influences into my house. Leave it outside. You're welcome. You're invited to the shul, to my home, into our schools. But the influences, the images, the icons, the idolatry... Wash it off. You got to wash it off. You can't bring it in. So lest we think that Avram is just extreme welcoming, it also is tempered by a healthy balance of you got to wash off the foreign influence before you come in. But one does Rav Druk here in his Lavosesh. We know when it comes to Achnas' Orchem, is Avram stingy? Everything Avram does, he does how? B'shefa. Generously. In abundance. The Gemara says he gave, we have three Lashonos of Chardal. He gave three types of, of tongue. Tongue and mustard. It happens to be, I don't need tongue. I have a policy. I don't taste anything that tastes you back. You see that tongue? You see the taste buds? You ever see tongue? The taste buds? It looks, I don't need anything that still looks like the way it looked when it was on the animal. Okay, that's my hang-up. My wife loves, loves tongue. So the people who love tongue, honey mustard tongue, tongue with mustard, it's a real delicacy. If you really love the guest for yontif, you splurge, tongue. If you really love me, pastrami, <laughs> corned beef. If you really love me, I'll give you a whole list of other things. But anyway, Avram Avinu was a tongue guy. So he, the Malachim, were tongue people. So what does the Pasuk describe? Ooh, in abundance. Not one tongue, not half a tongue, not the tongue on sale, not the tongue in the freezer. Three types of mustard tongue. He shechted three. How do you get three tongues? You didn't find a cow that had three tongues. 
If you have three tongues, what does it mean? Shechta, three animals. Avram Avinu is incredibly generous, magnanimous. Everything is in abundance. Except for when it came to the water to wash off the Avarazara, Yukachna, Matmayim, a shtickle, a bissel, a little bit of water. All of a sudden he became stingy. All of a sudden he holds back. So it says, such a beautiful idea. You know, we sometimes think that if you're going to transfer, you're going to purge Avodah Zarah, you're going to get rid of those foreign ideas and influences and thoughts. We're going to purge, we're going to kasher ourselves, we're going to become more pure in our worship, in our service of Hashem. It's going to take an enormous amount. You know what it takes? Ma'at mayim. To get rid of all that Avodah Zarah, it can get washed off with a little bit of water. Ma'at mayim. He doesn't say it here, but I'll add, Ein mayim ela Torah. Chazal tells Ein mayim ela Torah. So maybe you kachna ma'at mayim, to get rid of even a whole lot of Avodah Zarah, go wash it away with even a little bit of Torah. Sitting in the base Medrash for one hour, you could cleanse and purge all those contaminating ideas. A lifetime of mistakes, of confusion, of idolatry, a little bit of Torah. Maybe it only takes a little bit, a little bit. Just takes a little bit. Then he goes on, he has another explanation. But I want to share with you something else. Rashi, the Chizkuni says, When did this happen? Rashi says it's to get rid of the Avodah The Chizkuni has a different interpretation. Chizkuni writes, this all occurred during the season of the desert winds known as the Sharaf. Hashem made that day incredibly hot. So the feet of the travelers would be soaked in sand and sweat. So this had nothing to do with Avodah Zarah. The Chizkuni understands Kipshuto. They came in, their feet were sweaty, disgusting. Sand was sticking to their sweaty feet. I was in Ofakim last week, the south of Israel. It's almost November. It was hot as anything. Where Avram Avinu was sitting, it was a, it was a sauna. So Yukach Namat Mayim was, here's a hose. Rinse your feet off. Sarah doesn't like it when the guests get the, the carpet dirty. So I don't want to get in trouble with Sarah. In a minute, we'll see. Everything she tells me, I have to listen to. One of the things she told me is, you could have all those guests, make sure they wipe their feet at the door. So Yukach Namat Mayim is, there's a little mat. Wipe your feet at the door. Rashi quotes the Gemara Bab Metziah, Pevav, Shehem Arviyim, Shemishtachim, Mavak Ragliyim, and so on. Shla Kadosh and Torah or Wonders. What kind of idolatry is this? Here's a little water, wash off your feet, because these are, these are idolaters, and what's their form of idolatry? What do they worship? Avak means the dust of Raglayim. Now you're not allowed to worship anything but Hashem. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the omnipotent, all-powerful only. It's ridiculous to worship anything. I don't understand even the Havamin to worship the sun, the moon, and the stars, to worship celebrities and athletes, to worship money and power. We don't even begin to understand it, but maybe a little bit. But to worship dust of the ground, dust of the feet, what kind of, what kind of worship is that? So I saw Rav Shol Alta the Gerer Rosh Hashiva, who Amir Tzashem, mark your calendar, one week from last night, Monday night, November 6th, the Gerer Rosh Hashiva is coming. It's a tish for men, 8.30, the Hale Gera Rosh Hashiva, very special, very wonderful. 
He's coming. He'll be here, right in the spot, in person, next Monday night. He quotes the Divri Yecheskel. The Divri Yecheskel is the Shin of Arav. And he says, not only is it not lunacy, not only is it not absurd, not only is it not ridiculous, we all worship the same Avodah Zarah. Holy Shinever, we worship the same Avodah Zarah. I never took off my shoes and bowed down to them. I never took the map filled with dust and started worshiping it. What does it mean? Says the Shinever, the Divri Yecheskel. These idolaters were merchants, business people. They traveled and they ran around and they did business, selling their wares, growing customers, marketing. They were constantly on the run, constantly full of activity, constantly busy. Do you know what it means that they bowed down to Avak Raglayim? It means they worshiped at the altar of busyness. They constantly needed to feel busy, 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 running, 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 doing, 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 going, going, going. They were worshiping their own effort, worshiping their own initiative, worshiping their own kochi v'otzam yadi. They were obsessed and addicted to running around, to staying busy. They were always kicking up the dust. Just sit, sit. Yerushalmi says, he doesn't quote this, but the Yerushalmi says that tamidei chachamim are bebechina Shabbos all week long. The righteous, they look like Shabbos all week. What does that mean? It means we, all week long, we're running, running, going, going, doing, doing. Shabbos, we sit, we breathe, we can experience serenity and peacefulness. Me'ein olam haba. But the Talmud Chacham, the righteous, they're able to the entire week. This connects to what we saw about Avram, Vayisa ina vayar. The Talmud Chacham, the righteous, they're calm, they're serene, they're tranquil. They're not running, 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 busy, busy, busy. Whatever they're doing is what they're meant to be doing in that moment, calmly, serenely. But we, many of us, we're running, 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 busy, busy, busy. We're worshiping at the altar of our effort, of our initiative, of kicking up dust, of thinking that our success directly correlates to our activity. You know why I do well? You know why I was successful? Because I was so busy, 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 busy. Business today is a commodity. You meet people, you say, how are you? Before the war, how are you? How am I? Crazy busy, psycho busy, insanely busy. Well, you must be important, you're busy. You must be special, you're busy. You must be superior because you're so busy. We think busyness is a commodity. What's really the best and the holiest to say, how are you doing? Peaceful, managing, fully present in whatever I'm doing. That's what's more impressive. How are you doing? I'm great, I'm fully present in this conversation with you. Are you crazy busy? No, I do what I need to get done and I'm fully present in whatever it is at that moment. And whatever happens is up to Hashem. My success, my productivity, we confuse. We confuse busyness with productivity. Being super busy does not equal being super productive. But we are a generation addicted to and worshiping busyness, kicking up the dust. That's idolatry. People tie their self-worth to how busy they are. Crazy busy, psycho busy, insanely busy, so busy. I don't sleep. Do you know how little I sleep? Are we supposed to be impressed by that? That's not impressive. That means you don't have your life altogether. Get it together and get enough sleep and you'll be more productive, less busy and more productive. Avram says to his guests, Rachatsu raglechem. Wash your feet. Stop kicking up so much dust. Stop being so busy and be more productive. What the Ger Rosh Hashiva of Shol Alta Shlita adds, the Mishnah Navos, Perak Aleph, Mishnah Dalit says, Yosi ben Yoezer, Ish Omer, Yibescha bezvad lechachamim, 
Our home should always be open to great Chachamim like the Ger Rosh Hashiva. And sit in the dust of their feet. Why did Chazal specifically draw the image, the picture of sit at the dust of their feet? Make your home welcoming and open our community. Baruch Hashem welcomes tremendous, righteous men and women, Tamidei Chachamim, scholars. We invite them, we welcome them, and then we sit at the dust of their feet. And we drink in their words with thirst. Simple understanding is that the Rebbe, the teacher, used to sit in a chair. Students would sit at the floor. So you were at the dust of their feet. But then the Mishnah, why didn't the Mishnah say so explicitly? Connect making yourself dusty with the dust of their feet means sit at their feet and learn. Go to every shear, every opportunity. So based on the Shinovar, the Divri Yechezkel, of Shaul Alter suggests maybe the Mishnah means if you're going to attach yourself to busyness, let it be noble activity and movement. If you're going to not be sleeping, let it be because you're working on behalf of the Matzav and Eretz Yisrael day and night. If you're going to be running and kicking up dust, be kicking up the dust of repairing the world, redeeming the world, making the world a better place, caring about others. Don't kick up dust because you're trying to earn more money, own more things. Nothing wrong with that. Do well and enjoy the things that Hashem has given us. Nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to be kicking up dust, if you're going to worship at the altar of being busy, make your living, but kick up dust and be busy with the afaraglayim of running to the next year, the next chesed opportunity, the next volunteering, the next how we can influence the matzav in Eretz Yisrael. So what's the antidote to worshiping the altar of busyness? Says the Shinnever. Where did Avram tell him to go? Yukach namat ma'im. It just takes a little Torah. In ma'im ala Torah. Wash off all that avodah zara. Wash, up, wash off the busyness and kicking up dust. And where should you go? V'hisha'anu tachas ha'etz. And go sit, lean on the tree. What's a tree? Eitz chayimi The tree of Torah. You want to be busy with something? Be busy with Torah. Be busy with Torah. Be busy with Torah. That's your job. Hashem wants you to be successful, you'll be successful. Stop being so busy. Which eight? Which tree? The tree of Torah, the tree of Yiddishkeit. That should be our only form and our only sense of, of busyness. What an incredible shinover. What a beautiful insight of the Geri Rosh Hashiva on the shinover. Salavetchik says, Yukach Nomad Mayim. We're looking at the Rav Chomish. The cruelty of stone is portrayed in terms of cruelty to guests and strangers. In contrast, Avram's kindness expressed itself, particularly in Hachnasus Orchem. There are many ways to practice kindness. Why is Hachnasus Orchem, welcoming guests, so emphasized here? So says Rav Soloveitchik, Hachnasus Orchem is often for the poor. A rich man is in no need of hospitality. He can find an inn or a place to stay. Hachnasus Orchem differs from stuck or material help to others in a crucial way. Giving stuck demonstrates sympathy. Hachnasus Orchem demonstrates full human equality the belief that every being has dignity and is just as important as any other. It's much easier to give someone money and send them away than invite him under your own roof. If I invite him in, it means no matter what the situation in life, I'm treating him with respect as an equal. Hachnasas Orchem is symbolic of our personal relationship, the understanding that all Jews are b'nei malachim, princes, regardless of differences or wealth or knowledge. That's why the Torah gives us this picture of Avram. It doesn't, we know that Avram becomes, he fulfills the bracha of Hashem, he becomes very wealthy. But it doesn't say, Avram Avinu was a big veer. He sat and he wrote checks. And the line went out of his tent and he just wrote checks. It was a big veer. The Rav says, you know, it specifically tells us, Avram Avinu, hachnasas orchem. Because writing checks, that's easy. If you have the money, it's easy. It's not so easy. There's plenty of people who have the money. 
they'd give you the kidney before they'll give you a check for money. Not so easy for some. Not so easy for some. But it's easier. It's easier to write a check and give money than say, is your guest room available? Do you clean the sheets and have a towel? Can you put out food? I tell you, we have a thousand families in our shul. And sadly, you know how much we struggle for our hospitality committee to get people who say, when you get a call, I have a room. I have a seat at my table. It's a small nucleus of incredible people who every time say, sure, happy to host anyone. Sure, happy to have them for a meal. Say, will you, will you sponsor a meal? You know, there's people who have relocated from the south, from the north. Sure, how much? Here's my credit card number. Will you host someone? I would, I could, I can't, I want, I won't. All of a sudden, it becomes much harder. So Avram Avinu, we celebrated for his Achnasas Orchem, because that's the chesed where you really have to be selfless. And that's the chesed where you're really making other people feel they're your equal. Equal seat at the table, equal presence and opportunity in the home at your house. They're described as a kingdom Ba'abayam, and we'll skip this one, the Lavazesh. Rashi quotes, two sides of a coin were minted, the young Avram and Sarah, and the other, the older Avram and Sarah. Why was the minted coin their young age and their older age? What does that mean? We'll come back to, I guess, next year. Perakutes Pasagit Zayin. Moving far along, we're skipping. Stone is destroyed. I was thinking about it, I'm going to write my article. Stone is destroyed. Avram Avinu teaches us the righteousness of standing up for someone, for something, to protest, to object. You see what's happening on college campuses. Where are all the people who started the Me Too movement? Where are all the people with Black Lives Matter? Where are the people who supposedly stand up for underdogs, who stand for justice? Where are all these movements and the hashtags? As Jews on college campuses have to hide in their... I want to know what the world would do if black students were told that the black student center is being closed down because we can't protect you there and black students are being warned, stay in your room. What would happen if LGBT students were told the LGBT student center is closed because we can't protect you? What would happen on Cornell and Cooper Union and Columbia and Harvard? What would the world reaction be? What would the messaging out of the... What would, what would it be if black students, gay students... What would happen if Muslim students were told the Muslim student center is being closed because we can't protect you and Muslim students stay in your room because we're worried for you to go out? You tell me what the world would look like. It'd be turned upside down. But the Jew, for the Jew... At a press conference, we put out a press release, criticize anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, all forms of hate. It's scary. It's very scary. It's very scary. But I have to tell you, it's also a powerful message to us. How many of us, when others were being hated, raise our voice? When, while, while we are the target and the victim, and the painful silence and indifference of too many in the world should also remind us that the next time there are other victims, we should raise our voice. You know, yesterday I came out of my house and the landscaper was cutting the lawn in front of my house and on his lawnmower were Israeli flags. Now again, Montoya Circle is not super courageous to have Israeli flags on your lawnmower. You know, he's cutting all of his customers, our block. But, but he's not, my, 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 my landscaper is not Jewish. I'm fairly confident. But you know what? For a minute, I was like, wow, thank you. I want to give him a hug. It means something. Are we willing to fly the flag, literally or figuratively, of other peoples when they are targeted? 
The experiencing we're going through right now should also remind us next time someone else is hurting that we, the Jewish people, should be the most vocal in flying a flag. I'm not even giving a description of who they are, who they were, who they will be, whoever they are. Unfortunately, in this world, that opportunity will present itself. If we're really the progeny of Avram Avinu, even if they're stone, we should speak up on their behalf. Because Avram protests even for the people of stone. You don't have to read my article. I just practiced it on you. That's what I'm going to... If I have a few minutes, that's what I want to write. Perak Yutes, Perak Yutes, Pasuk Yud Zayin, 1917. So stone is destroyed. Move over to Perak Yutes. Lot, Lot is saved. And when Lot is saved, he's told, Al Tabit Acharecha, don't look back. Don't look back, don't turn around, flee the mountain, lest you be slept, swept away. Why can't he turn around? Don't look back, why not? And what happens to his wife? She turns into a pillar of salt. So in Lava Seshra of Druk says, Rashi says, You know why she turned into a pillar of salt? Because she was cheap and stingy. And when the guest said, Can I have a little salt? Nah, not sharing my salt with you. Maybe she was insulted that her food needed salt. It's always not so posh. How do you sneak a little salt without the, whoever made the food noticing? Unless you're the chef, then you could put salt in whatever you want because you made the food. That's one of the kindnesses a hostess can do. They could say, you know, the soup could use a little salt. I'm adding anyone else could add too. Even then, it's not wise if you're married to the hostess. To, you say, no, 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 it's delicious. It's perfect. It doesn't need anything. I'll take it just the way it is. So Aisha's lot wouldn't share her salt. So she turned into a pillar of salt because she wouldn't share her salt. But says Rav Druk and others, you know why she turned into a pillar of salt when you turn around? What does salt do? It's a preservative. Salt is a preservative, it preserves, it freezes, it makes stay exactly at that moment. So when Lot's wife turns around, what is she looking at? She says, I, I, I want to be with the people of Stone. I had good times in Stone. A lot of nostalgia about Stone. I love Stone. Stone is where I'm from, Stone is who I am. I miss Stone. What happened? You miss Stone? You're nostalgic for Stone? Stone is where you're from and who you are? You're now a pillar of salt. You are now permanently sealed with stone. You are preserved through salt with stone. That's one interpretation. But Rav Druk has another interpretation. And he says, when you survive destruction, when a person survives destruction, they need to not look back and get stuck at what happened. They need to forge forward and rebuild what needs to be built. When one suffers destruction, they should learn from it. They should grieve and mourn it but not perseverate on it and get stuck in it because you need to rebuild. The Tripp family had Nufra for Jonah a few weeks ago and uh, it was tough to make a simcha during this trying time. But Benji spoke, his parents were survivors. And he mentioned, I had never heard this theory before. Many survivors didn't share their story for not years, decades. They didn't share it with their children. They only would share it with their grandchildren. Why was that? There are a lot of theories. They didn't want to deposit it onto the second generation. There's a lot of theories. He offered an interesting theory. And his theory was, until they secured a future, survivors weren't ready to talk about the past. So it took 30 or 40 or 50 years. And their children weren't enough. 
until it could be a grandchild they were telling the story to, they knew there was a continuity and there was a future, until they knew and saw a future, they couldn't even talk about or address or focus on the past. And says Rav Druk, that's what's going on here. Stone went up in flames, stone was destroyed. But before you turn around, before you get stuck looking at and thinking about the past, the destruction that you endured, turn to the future, build that future. What's the next chapter? What's the next phase? October 7th, we'll never forget. We're constantly looking back at. And there's a lot to look at. I just saw today online, they produced a map of October 7th, where you can go see all the cities and there's a dot for every casualty. You could see exactly how far they went. It's haunting, haunting, haunting. We'll never forget October 7th. But you hear the army, you hear the prime minister, you hear what comes out of Israel. We'll never forget October 7th, but right now we're looking forward to getting rid of the perpetrators who did it, to the next chapter of Klal Yisrael, of Achtus and Amuna, to come together to bring Mashiach. We don't forget the past, but we don't get stuck turning around. We don't get stuck looking behind us. We have to forge forward the next chapter and what's next. Sarah Imenu gives Avram a message. And Hashem tells Avram, everything Sarah tells you, listen to her voice. Although the Torah and certainly the Medrash provide extensive information about the Avos, the Imo's role is more obscure. In fact, however, Sarah was an equal partner with Avram in the covenant. Rashi here comments that Avram was actually inferior to Sarah with respect to prophecy. When Hashem informed Avram that Sarah was to bear him a son, he said, but Aval, your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you'll name him Yitzchak and I'll establish my bris with him. The key emphasis is on the word Aval, but, which follows the reference to the fact that Avram already had a son from another wife. But Aval, he's told, he will not be the son, the son to continue his legacy. The covenant continues specifically through Yitzchak, because Yitzchak emerged from both Avram and Sarah, there can be no covenant without Sarah. There is no covenant without Sarah. Sarah is Avram. Sarah is Avram. There is no Avram without Sarah. In fact, we know from next week's parasha that once Sarah dies, there is no. The Rav writes, it's interesting that although Avram survived Sarah by 38 years, his historical role came to an end with Sarah's passing. Yitzchak leaves the stage together with Rivka. Yaakov relinquishes his role to Yosef with the untimely death of Rachel. Without Sarah, there is no Avram. No Yitzchak if not Rivka. No Yaakov without Rachel. The Avos are insignificant. They become invisible once they lose the Imahos. Who holds, who's the strength? It's the Imahos. It's the Imahos. And don't tell me this is apologetics. We're the farthest thing from a misogynistic people. The Torah has an enormous gender bias. It's just biased against the men. Because the Torah tells us over and over how pathetic men are if not for their wives. 38 years Avram lives without Sarah, but you don't hear anything from him. He disappears from the stage of history because it's the schus of the Nashim Tzidkanios. When we sat with the community last week of Shlomit, of Chalutza, who've been displaced to Gush Etzion, they talked about even the warriors who grabbed their gun to go fight to save their yeshuv and others, they talked about their wives. It was all their wives who were the strength, their wives who watched the children, their wives who went to the safe rooms, their wives who themselves took up a gun to protect their family. It was the schus nashem tzidkanios, it is the wives. And that's kolasher temalach hasara, anything Sarah says, shema bekola, listen to her because Sarah is the one. Sarah is the one. 
Akedah, we didn't even get to the Akedah, the end of the parsha. Shem calls Avram, Vayomer Hineni. And he answers, Hineni, here I am. Vayomer Hineni, here I am. But twice. Parah Chavbez, Pasuk Aleph. Chavbez, Aleph. And it was after these things that Hashem tested Avram. He called him Avram. He said, here I am. Now later he's going to call him Avram, Avram. So why here does he call him Avram once? And later he's going to call him Avram, Avram. Why twice? We have time for one last thought? Okay, one last thought. So Rav Nachman, the holy Rav Nachman writes, Avram gets older. Yitzchak is born to him. Hashem turns to him and he says, I got one last test for you. The tenth test, the greatest of all the tests. Why is this test introduced? Achar hadvarim ha'ela. And it was, it's like the narrator. The narrator of the Chumash fills in and says, and it was, just picture the narrator's voice. And it was after these things. And then the story turns to, and Hashem calls Avram and he says, Hineni, and he tells him, do the, why do you need a narrator? All of a sudden the Torah has a narrator between scenes. Vahi achar hadvarim ha'ela. And it was after these things. Says Rab Nachman, Everyone has difficult times. Sometimes a person feels, I'm done. After these things, I'm done. I'm finished. I'm toast. I'm spent. I'm exhausted. I got nothing left. I feel like I'm in a tkufa of, A person goes through a, challenge, a suffering, a loss, an anguish, a crushed dream. A person's tired. They're just older. They're tired. A person could be in a stage of life, said the, says Rav Nachman, a stage of life of Achar Hadvarim Ha'ila. After all this, after all these things, I'm done. So Rabbi Nachman says in Likutei Moran Chelek Vav, again, this is from the Sefer Shluchan HaShabbos. He didn't say it explicitly on the Parsha, but it's derived from the teachings of Rav Nachman on the Parsha. Person lives then with mochen dekatnis. Mochen dekatnis means very small mind, small vision. Person retreats and recoils into a small sense of self, small emuna. I'm crushed, tired, I'm exhausted, I'm spent. I got nothing left to dream and to have vision and to go change the world. But it's in those moments that Elokim nisa's milasha nes and degel. The word nisa, the same word for test, also means a nes means a banner. A nace is a flag. What does it mean, Vesa nace? doesn't mean a miracle. What does a nace mean? A banner, a flag. When we feel like I'm crushed, I'm spent, I'm exhausted, I got nothing left, I'm done. Elokim gematria is teva nisa. You gotta lift the banner of what? Es Avram, the Avram in you. Magain Avram. We make a bracha every day. We invoke Yitzchak and Yaakov, but Hashem sealed the Avram in us. Magain Avram. There is a piece of Avram in each and every one of us. We have the ability, like Avram, that even after Achar Dvarim we can raise the banner. We're not done. We're not finished. We're not finished. We're not complete. There's more to do. There's more to do. How do you do it? What was the midah of Avram? Chesed. If we turn outward and we do and we care for others, we'll find in ourselves mochen degadlas, not katnas. We're not finished, we're not done, we're not retired. Our best is yet to come, we're just getting started. There's so much more. There's so much more to impact the world. There's more for us to do.
And how does Avram, a moment ago, it says, a moment ago, it's after all these things, and now it's Hineni. Avram says, I thought I was spent. I thought I was exhausted. I thought I was retired. I thought I was done. I thought my book was complete. But he went from an Achar Advarim to a sense of Hineni. Here I am. What needs to be done? Let's get it done. We didn't answer. First he calls Vayomer Elav, Avram. He calls him once Avram. But later when the angel calls, it says Vayikra, he calls him Avram, Avram. Why does he say his name twice later? And here the introduction to the Akedah, he says his name once. I guess we'll leave that in Mirz Hashem for next year. Tomorrow we have Mesilas Hashem and living with Amuna. Until next time, may we hear Yeshua's Venachamos. Mashiach should come. Keheref Ayin. Don't forget, please stay for Tehillim. We're going to complete all Tehillim. 30 people stay. It'll take five minutes. Each person takes that day. If you want to get a flag for your car, $5 proceeds go to the IDF.